This is Chris Fetters of Dogman.com, and we are here with a very special guest today. His name is AJ Maestas. He is a guy that uh, we've really, really wanted to talk to on the record for a long time. We've known AJ forever. He's been a great friend of Dogman.com over the years. Uh, a guy who grew up in Alaska, did his undergrad work at Washington, graduate work at Arizona State, and he is also the founder and CEO of Navigate, a sports agency and consultancy that deals with major business transaction and sport. And obviously for Washington fans, when we want to talk about those types of things, we're talking about the Pac-12 networks, we're talking about Pac-12 media deals with ESPN, Fox, we're talking about the Adidas apparel deal, we're talking about all those major transactions. And AJ is in a very unique position where he's kind of been on all sides of that space. He's worked with uh, the conferences. He's been a consultant for commercial concerns, media. He's done a little bit of everything. And so, AJ, I really I welcome you to what we're doing here on Dogman Radio. And uh, thanks so much for coming out and uh, kind of being a part of this whole thing. Well, thank you, Chris. Thank you for uh, having me and uh, for the flattering introduction. <laughs> so first, yeah. so first, first of all, obviously we're talking a couple days after Pac-12 Media Day, and uh, I know there's been some things in terms of the Pac-12 media rights deals. You know, it doesn't come up for another four or five years, but there's whispers in terms of what's going on and 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 how does it relate to you know, what the Big Ten is getting and what the SEC is getting and what the ACC is getting, you know, from, from your perspective, you know, kind of a 10,000-foot level thing, is it fair for Pac-12 fans and Washington fans and fans of West Coast football and, and the conference, is it fair to compare themselves financially and, and business-wise with those with those conferences? When, when, they, when, when people see that the SEC teams are getting such and such more million a year than a Pac-12 team, is that, is that relevant? Well, it's definitely relevant, right? You you play against them on the same field, um, so I think it's fair. Uh, but um, you know, from from our perspective, right, the, the work that we do at Navigate, where we you know get down into the nitty gritty of what something is truly worth and how to make it you know worth more, um, there's some practical realities that that limit the Pac-12 relative to many of the conferences you just mentioned. Um, if you if you look at a really high level. At just audience, ratings, attendance, fan affinity, passion, et cetera, um, at least from a business perspective. And I can understand why a fan would, but from a business perspective, it, it's not really fair to ask the Pac-12 to generate the same amount of television revenue as, say, the Big Ten or SEC. Uh, their audiences and the ways that that is monetized are just much stronger. So, you know, the, because the, the Pac-12 deal isn't going to be up for another few years, it just feels like the the way things are changing online. It, it just ha- every six months, it feels like there's a new wave of something. You know, you get, you know, you get the Fubos and you get all these other things where you, the streaming options are incredible. And we have to remember that the Pac-12 network is 100% owned by the conference. So I know that you've been on the record and you've talked to guys like John Wilner, what have you, where you've talked about how important that is as a as a as a piece of this whole media puzzle that could be something that could really be uh worth a lot of money down the road but with the way the the landscape is changing and how people watch these games football basketball and otherwise 
how well positioned is the conference to really monetize and and the timing of the new deal? Do you really feel like with the streaming options that are coming out and everything like this, that they're going to be in a position to really maximize uh, revenue opportunities for the conference and and start really turning this turning this into a big payday for the for the conference teams? Well, I, I love the way your question ended there, which is, are they in a position to maximize what they've got? Because that's the real question. You know, what can we as the Pac-12 do with what we have? That that would be the question I'd be asking as a fan or an executive of the Pac-12. And um, I think the answer is yes. Um, I'm sure the question is born out of some of the disappointment and negative press that you know has come from the revenue associated with the Pac-12 networks and with the comparison versus other leagues. Um, but uh, I, I would, uh, I'm doing a little, you know, dive into history, but at the time the deal was struck, uh, the PAC 12 leapfrogged everybody out there and almost, uh, wrote a script on, on what college could be worth at that time. And, uh, it was an exceptional tier one deal, you know, the deal that goes to Fox and ESPN and, and the vast majority of the quality content, the, the better matchups. Um, and, uh, and I'm addressing something beyond your question, but, uh, but I know it's where it's born out of the PAC 12 network. Uh, those were choices that were made by the conference. And make no mistake, uh, like anyone in this world, no one can predict the future. There were things that would be done differently if they could be, but most of that was by choice. Uh, uh, it was a desire and a preference to uh, promote Olympic sports and to give an audience to a lot of things that wouldn't find their way on broadcast anyway and to promote the academic side of these universities and to take control of, of you know, their voice. Uh, they've done so well with that Tier 1 deal they thought that they could maybe um, make a financial sacrifice. And um, and if you could see, uh, if you had the right to see the memo that, that you know outlined that strategy, you would see that they nailed it on all their objectives. And, and revenue uh, optimization after those objectives were achieved was pretty far down that list. So, um, so sorry for answering a different question than you asked, but uh, I know that some people might sort of, you know, kind of look sideways and say, really? Um, but, but, uh, your question was really future and forward-looking, and uh, the landscape is changing unbelievably quickly. Uh, there's no question direct-to-consumer or over-the-top OTT, how it's referred to, is um, is uh, 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 part or all of the future. And the Pac-12 has had a great practice round and training ground for that, and their rights are coterminous. So that means that the Tier 1 deals with the network, with a number of other things that don't get talked about a lot, all kind of come up at the same time. So the, they're in a very good position for whatever their natural order is, and whatever their value in the marketplace is. They have a wide range of ways to uh, play their hand of cards uh, and to optimize this next deal. Yes. So so one of the things, AJ, that, that were, was talked about January, February, what have you, was this equity sale to firms and, and you know, the Pac-12 wanting to sell roughly, you know, 10% of their stake to private equity firms essentially and they had hired a company called the rain group uh they're an investment bank specialized in large-scale sports media transactions and obviously probably a, an entity you're very familiar with and um you know as this thing goes on do you feel like that's something that's still vital to them do they need that influx of cash do they need to keep looking down that avenue as a, as a viable thing for them? Or can they kind of keep going where they're going now, still retain 100% of their rights for everything and just kind of see where the, where the landscape takes them? 
Well, needs a needs a tough threshold. <laughs> you know, um, the games will go on, right? Um, yeah. uh, recruits will sign up to play. Uh, the kids will go to class. Uh, you know, they're they're the world will keep spinning. Um, so I don't know if I qualified as a need, but a want, heck yeah, of course they want it. Um, uh, it's, is it giving them a competitive disadvantage? I have a feeling that's what, you know, the real question I guess I would want to know, or, uh, even a comparative uh, disadvantage and, uh, in the ability to win on the field, you know, are we missing the college football playoff or the NCAA tournament because we don't have financial resources that could get us there? Um, I hate saying this because uh, a great deal of our business is helping these universities optimize revenue and optimize their marketing and what have you. But um, but I actually don't believe the delta of from what they could be earning. It's not what they want, and it's not SEC money because they can't get it no matter how bad they want it. Um, but uh, the delta between what they could be earning from the Pac-12 networks and the path they've chosen, the path that has occurred, and where they're at. Um, I don't think it's as broad as people realize. And, and what that equates to on a per-campus basis, would that be the difference maker? I, I personally don't believe it is. Um, I'm going to use anecdotal evidence, but USC was out there uh, competing for and winning national championships and, and their training facility and locker room. Uh, I think it paled in comparison to most of the high schools that those kids came from. Um, so, you know, uh, can we afford it uh, to attract or train great head coaches? Um, that's a challenge financially, but I think the answer is yes. There's a lot of reasons someone would want to live in the West coast. And we seem to have some pretty amazing coaches that have had the option to go a lot of places and chosen to be here in the PAC 12. There's a lot of places. Chip Kelly could have gone a lot of places. Um, Chris Peterson could go, uh, I won't go down the whole list. Um, but, but of course they want that money. Um, so I'm, I'm getting on a little long here. So I'll try to, to wrap this up by, by just saying, um, I don't think they were necessarily looking to sell a piece of this uh, to private equity funds. It was more of an advisor they hired, and, and a good one. It's always a good sign when someone hires a well-known, respected, quality consultant. Uh, and that iBanking function that they hired with the Rain Group was to explore potential investment from others. And I think, uh, if I were to guess, uh, they'd be talking to strategic uh, partners. So not people that would just write that check. It's in the papers saying it's $750 million. And I honestly believe it. It's a pretty rich marketplace out there, and there's some reasons that you'd want to long-term own that kind of content and, and tie yourself in with those rights. Um, so it, it wouldn't surprise me if they would get it. It also wouldn't surprise me if they could confirm they could get it and choose not to um, because uh, the driving factor for a university is more than just profit or revenue optimization. They're serving so many stakeholders and so many missions that are beyond just uh, winning on the field or revenue optimization. And I think it might be just enough to see that number and say, look what we created by controlling and owning these rights. It appears that we've created an entity that's worth a whole lot of money in the real marketplace if we wanted to. Um, and asking themselves, do we really want to sell that, you know, let's say hypothetically in perpetuity in exchange for this one lump sum payment? And I'm sure it wouldn't be exactly structured that way. But, you know, what would the schools do with that money? Um, and uh, there are schools that want it, and they're probably eager to spend it, or even bridging gaps that they thought they were going to have money for that they don't. There's always, you know, estimate errors, and not-for-profits tend to spend everything they get, right, revenue-wise. Um, so you can think of the schools that would be really hungry for that. Um, but then you have to ask yourself the question is if they receive this check, whether it's a bloom payment or otherwise, would they invest in high ROI and uh, things that would lead to even more money coming back, you know, business practices or facilities or whatever it might be that, that you know, uh, puts them ahead of the competition. And remember, everyone would get that check. So on the West Coast, 
they'd all be basically in just an elevated but same competitive position versus one another. Conversely, there's things they could do with that money, like invest it in other forms of content. And, and again, I'll wrap this up by saying no one I can think of that has uh, taken an ownership position in media, uh, in sport, uh, has regretted it uh, in the last at least 10 years that I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, it has way outstripped the growth of the normal marketplace and of inflation, and it becomes increasingly valuable as there's more bidders and more interested parties in, in, in possibly buying that content, distributing that content. And I think that's why you see such a gigantic number attached to just a small part of what is the Pac-12 you know, entity. And so um, they could invest in other rights. Imagine them investing in high school sports or um, you know, sports in Asia and starting to create a global uh, direct-to-consumer over-the-top type television product. Uh, the PGA Tour has done this with Discovery you know, and created the first one-stop shop. You know, if you want to get the PGA Tour, here's how you watch it. Um, if, if they took that money and put it into really smart investments, it could become an even more uh, wise decision in hindsight. Um, so I probably went on too long, but, uh, but what do I make of it? I think it was very smart to explore. The only sports league I can think that has sold equity like that is MLS, um, and uh, it allowed them to create some, a marketing entity that puts on friendlies and a bunch of other things, and I think that was, um, that was a good investment to accelerate things. Um, the only reason you wouldn't is you'd say we'd rather retain that ownership. I don't think the reason you wouldn't is because it's not worth a lot or it's not valuable. And um, there's a whole range of reasons beyond money. Um, imagine they line up with a strategic partner. Let's call it like uh, Amazon for fun because it looks like Amazon will play a serious role in the future of television. Okay. And now you have an interested party that's, uh, that is focusing on you, going to make sure you're distributed through their means. It makes you a priority in the way they promote and distribute content. Um, there could be some things, whether they do it today or they do it on the you know, eve of the next television deal, that could give them some real advantages um, in incentivizing people to bid more, to bid competitively, or to uh, be a better business partner. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So I guess what I'm curious is based on that that evaluation where you said, you know, you could kind of go through that. You could get a lump sum. You could get the money now. You could sell it all off or you could make that long term strategic investment. Look to those emerging markets, things like you've laid out. What direction do you set? You know, what what are you getting the sense of right now? What direction do you think the Pac-12 is headed in terms of their their future media rights negotiations? <laughs> um, I hate to say a sense. You know, we have a history of you know working with almost all the major conferences. Well, right, you, like, and I would say but, too. But, I want to make sure that people understand we're t- still talking about years down the road. So we're we're having AJ kind of dust off the crystal ball here a little bit. So. Right, right. Uh, generically about the future of media, I would say in the, you know, let's call it medium term, that would include the next rights deal, let's call it five years. Um, there's an increasing number of bidders and interested parties in that content. And many of them are very well financed. DAZN is, is able to raise money quickly and easily and, and is looking to buy up anything they can. But there isn't a lot coming up until about 2021. 2021 through 2026, just about everything you can name in the pro or collegiate world comes up for their rights deals. 
So there's going to be a lot of activity. But uh, generally and generically speaking, more bidders, more interested parties, and well-heeled bidders usually means a higher price. So that's a good sign, That's a, especially for premium and high-quality content in live sport. So there's a reason to believe the next set of rights deals will be rich yet again. Um, and some of it might even defy you know, economic lo- uh, logic and, and you know, gravity, if you want to call it that. Um, most people have probably noticed there's a bunch of mergers and acquisitions in the space going on. Fox of the future is not the Fox you've known in the past. Um, sure looks like they're going to concentrate on live television. And uh, that would make uh, retaining sports lights incredibly important, news and sports. Um, uh, Sinclair, uh, we had the good fortune of working with the Cubs on some stuff regarding their um, television deal. I think they might have been the first that got into bed there with Sinclair. There's, uh, there are, um, they bought all those regional sports networks that were once Fox Sports, what have you. So they're, they're owned by Sinclair now. It sure looks like, and they have a history of being in the news, local news business. It's very clear that they are going to be concerned with live things, which is sport and, and news. Um, but then there's all these new players, you know, that we've named a few already, but picture all those tech companies and who's to say if they're really going to get serious about broadcasting actual live events versus all the content that surrounds it. But there's players like Google that have more cash on their balance sheet, uh, than would be necessary to buy some of these media companies. They could buy every pro sports team in the United States if it were for sale, hypothetically with the cash they're sitting on right now. Um, so to think that they don't have an easy and quick way to be in the business if they decide they'd like to broadcast live sports programming, and they're not the only one, right? I'm just using Google and YouTube as an example. So uh, what does the landscape look like? A lot of new entrants, a lot of legacy entrants that are that that have a lot of incentive to stay in the game. It's clear ESPN's not giving up, right? They spent $2 billion just on the technology to be in this direct-to-consumer game where they bought that BAM tech, right, that baseball-developed technology, Uh they're pretty serious about staying in here, right, in the sports world. Mm-hmm. And so you combine all these things and I'd say, what a rich marketplace it's going to be. What an exciting time and what a great time to have a lot of flexibility in how you uh, deliver and work with your customer. Um, pretty good time to own a distribution <laughs> method as well, to be perfectly honest. So um, uh, what an environment. No one can perfectly predict the future, but I'd be absolutely shocked. It would take some sort of uh, – you know, global financial crisis and meltdown on change of consumer behavior, given the rapid rate at which people are moving toward these technologies and, and video consumption. Uh, I'll leave you with one thought here. I, um, the uh, minutes viewed, you know, eyeballs and all these things had long exceeded for digital and mobile beyond uh, the television. But now the final threshold has been crossed, which is minutes viewed, total minutes viewed. And TV's not down that much. It's down with the uh, younger generations, but not down as much as you would think it. We're just spending even more time in front of these screens. Um, so there's more channels for those screens to be monetized. Um, so, yeah, pretty exciting. It looks pretty lucrative from my seat. I was going to say, you know, considering, like you said, some changing habits of how we view content, emerging people in this environment. You mentioned Google. You mentioned Amazon. You mentioned other people. Um, does the Pac-12 need to revise their model? Do the Pac-12 networks need to revise their model? I mean, you look at, you talked about Fox and their RSNs, their regional networks, and, you know, there used to be a Fox Sports Northwest, now it's Root. You know, with Pac-12 Washington, Pac-12 Oregon, Pac-12 Bay Area, Pac-12 Mountain, do you sense in the next, in the coming years, as part of the renegotiation and maybe trying to line them up in, in the most attractive way possible to potential buyers of their content, do you feel like they've got to make some moves? I think everyone has to make some moves, <laughs> you know, 
um, the rate of and change in consumption of video and all forms of video is so rapid uh, that um, that if you aren't changing, you will unquestionably be left behind. So this isn't an indictment on the choices that they made, but uh, today, halfway through their contract, they do it different, and I'm guessing almost everyone midway through a television contract would say the same, um, especially in this environment. So no question. I would expect uh, material changes to the way it's distributed, the, the way the regions are set up, as you described, um, without even knowing where it could possibly go. Um, yes, that's an, that's, an, that's an easy yes, Chris. But is it – okay, and again, dusting off your crystal ball, I know you said you didn't know exactly which direction it would head, but given – streaming now and 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 people viewing all of this stuff on their phones constantly um does it feel like it's just that simple they've got to make it user-friendly for the mobile systems and and everything else to to try to maximize the opportunities that are in front of them unfortunately it's not that simple they, they there's no question they have to make incredible efforts to understand the future of mobile i mean we this is going to sound completely crazy to you but one of our jobs i mean for Navigate to be relevant, to be a successful consultant, we have to stay on that cutting edge. Uh, we absolutely have to be you know, early adopters. We have this incredible young woman who's a sophomore at Princeton who we've been working with for, I believe, five years. Um, and she serves as our Gen Z expert, as the voice of her generation, uh, as a member of that generation. Um, of course, we support her with you know, great research and what have you. But, but, um, but you know, she is employed by us, so uh, she can translate this to our clients. And so... She can represent, you know, that change in our offices, you know, in our meetings. Um, and um, one of the things, you know, that, uh, you know, she shared with virtually every major broadcaster. We work with all the major broadcasters and networks and distributors, or about half of the major distributors, that is. Um, you know, she's uh, on the subject of football. The, the common question is how do we get you, uh, your generation, to watch, you know, the product that we're putting out, the, the full form, you know, college football or NFL football game. And, um, and, and, you know, her, her answer is essentially you're not, uh, you know, there's 12 minutes of whistle to whistle action in an American football match, 12 minutes. And it's a three and a half hour broadcast for college and a little shorter for the NFL. I mean, can you imagine the opportunities for distraction, alternative screens and, 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 uh, condensed versions of the game, uh, you know, that are, are possible in future media products. So, uh, yeah, it's way more than just stick it on mobile. Uh, if you want to capture that generation I'm referring to right now in particular, there was a giant drop in live TV viewing with millennials and an equivalent giant drop again um, with uh, Gen Z is taking place. As far as traditional, what we think of as TV is what you and I think of as TV. Um, you better serve that those folks with a, a different product that, that meets their desires and needs. And it's shorter in form. I can assure you that. I was going to say, too, it almost feels like can it come full circle to where, you know, Washington and Oregon and everyone – can they start filling the stands again? Because obviously that has become a concern with everyone having their caves and their, you know, five of their 50 inch TVs back to back to back to back to back all lined up through their cable or through their, their, you know, dish or what have you, you know, that Scott Woodward even said it when they were renovating Husky stadium, that they were not fighting against certain consumers. What they were fighting against the caves they were fighting against people staying at home and watching TVs in their basements. And I wonder with the, with the viewing habits of the new generations coming in and turning into such a different thing that 
is there a way that you can see or, or the, the what you've done with your research and your analysis? Because, you know, first and foremost, we need to make sure everyone knows AJ is a massive fan of college football, especially Washington, but a massive oh, yeah. fan of college football. And you've seen how there's been a huge dip in people going to games. I mean, it's become a huge problem. A lot of it was because of the late game times, and we'll get into that just in a little bit. But with, you know, what you see, it, can this come full circle? Can the younger generation now all of a sudden come back and fill the stands like when I was going to games back in the mid-70s? Yeah, um, I do love uh, the Huskies, and I'm a season ticket holder down here in, uh, in the Phoenix area for Arizona State. I, I uh, Even in the dark years of the Huskies, uh, may they never return, um, I couldn't stop watching. I, I couldn't, couldn't hold myself back. So, in fact, it's my only sports passion. I, I really don't follow uh, pro sports as a fan. Um, it's just my job to. But um, uh, unfortunately, that decline is happening everywhere. And I can I, I can absolutely sympathize uh, with what Pac-12 fans are going through with late nights, and you don't know the start time till a week later. And you know, I I'm I'm lucky to see one Husky football game a year in person. Um, you know, I, and, and it affects my travel planning. I, I completely get it. Um, and I think that conveniently is the scapegoat for attendance challenges. But the truth is it's happening everywhere in college football. Conferences that are closer to the population center of the country that don't spread their uh, start times as widely and as broadly as the Pac-12 does. Um, and um, it's happening across every sport you can name, uh, every mature you know, uh, you know, sport. So uh, there's different rates. You know, Some are being hurt more than others, and that's uh, partially due to their business practices. And marketing and the number of factors, but I, I don't think you're going to get the toothpaste back in the tube. I think there is a time when, you know, population growth and the scarcity of these 32 NFL teams or these 130 Division One football teams can rise that number with rising population. I think there will be a time where being, you know, around people for the experience and in a community setting when we're permanently glued to these screens uh, will be a very special experience. But in the, at least in the interim, there's no sign of uh, slowed attendance stopping. It's, it's, it's actually global, not even national, um, and highly correlated uh, with mobile phone usage and the next generations and what have you. If you were to look at Pathway to Phantom, this is some of the really cool research we get to do with some of the leagues and sports and broadcast uh, you know, partners and what have you, you know, and kind of understanding how do we make someone a fan. There's some things that are pretty counterintuitive. Um, you know, what you think of as the Pathway to Phantom from a generation before, um, you know, we're talking to, I assume, almost all Husky fans here with this conversation. You know, your, your uncle, your dad, your, you know, your parents, whoever brought you to a game and you tailgated and you were indoctrinated into this sort of, you know, culture and tribe and community, you know, and it's way beyond wins and losses. Uh, and it's your alma mater, you know, and, and a lot of people assign amateur athletics to, you know, the real tie to it. Um, but, but, you know, we've done some stuff that I don't know if it necessarily uh, is as true as we all intuitively think it is. Um, but you, you look at these factors that tie you to it, and it's just different today. The pathway to fandom today looks like uh, short-form highlight clips, like mashups of last night's NBA game. It looks like video games, you know what I mean, that keep me tied to the sport. I can be a fan of an athlete on the other side of the planet. I mean, you're an Aston Villa fan. I mean, how in the world did that happen, right? <laughs> and, 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 and would that have been possible a generation before where, you know, some people, there are EPL games that are not broadcast in the UK, if you can believe that, the most successful football league in the world it has domestic games that can't be viewed domestically 
um, you know, but certainly not happening here in the U.S., right? And that was true of the previous Pac-12 deal, but now we just expect anywhere, anytime we get it on a nice screen. So um, there are some I was going to say, for, too, it's not it's not for a lack of money, too, because EPL rights have gone for a billion, billion plus, two billion. I mean, it's not a lack of money. Not a coincidence. I mean, for those that don't get to travel globally, um, I'll paint a picture for you on the eastern seaboard of China or uh, just about any major city in Southeast Asia, you can't go more than 20 or 30 steps without seeing an NBA hat or jersey. I'm not sure if they've ever seen that athlete or that team play a game, but but it is cool. It's a tied to Western culture, and the NBA is popular all over the world. It is not a domestic thing, and the EPL has the same story. I would describe the places I just mentioned as, as the EPL and the NBA being wildly popular. Um, so it stretches so far beyond that. But, but I'll, I'll, I'll finish the TV thing with saying, are we in competition with TV? There's no question, right, that the cost and the ease and the comfort of your home and food and beverage and everything like that, it's tough. But, you know, there's something about that human experience, that high five with your neighbor, you know, that sort of, you know, that, that uh, tribal thing that takes place. So uh, we've actually found, uh, to use an example relevant to, to what I assume are a lot of people from the Northwest, we're fortunate to work with the Sounders, have for many years, an amazing organization, amazing people, run by a Husky, by the way, uh, owned by a Husky. Um, they... Um, and they're very much, you know, on the cutting edge, you know, with the limited budget they have in Major League Soccer to be the best that they can be. Uh, and uh, their ratings are actually better for home games than away games. This is old data, so it may not be true today. But it was amazing to see because um, at a time when MLS is less popular than it is today, they'd go on the road and play in empty stadiums. And, you know, if you're just a passerby and you see the TV with empty seats, you kind of assume that's not important. Keep clicking the channel or, you know, don't pay attention, what have you. And um, and ratings in MLS, you know, like 50,000 fans or 50,000 viewers, rather, would be a lot for a normal MLS broadcast. And so when there are 50,000 butts and seats, right, watching them at a home game, the ratings would actually be better. And you'd say, well, wait a minute, aren't those fans on the road not able to attend in person? Aren't they watching, you know? And that should have a massive impact to make sure away game ratings are higher. So it's a simple story. And, and we, ESPN's our largest media client over our history you know, there's really good research done into, you know, there's a great experience on site, elevate or, or compete with um, uh, viewership and vice versa. And when it's done right, you see a packed house, you see an exciting environment, it draws you to want to attend someday in person, and it makes it a more meaningful, important thing that you're viewing on TV. So it doesn't have to be, you know, uh, you know, either or inversely correlated, right? You know, like where your resources go. Um, uh, the final thing I'll leave you with is that, you know, a lot of these stadiums are overbuilt. This is not new that there's empty seats in the Coliseum, right, or the Rose Bowl. Um, those stadiums are just way too big for, for you know, what is offered. Um, so uh, as a general rule of thumb, I would tell any university, uh, build smaller than whatever you're thinking. Um, and that sounds like it's not revenue maximized, but it actually can be, but I'm going down a rabbit hole with that. So, yeah, it's not stopping anytime soon. And, and someday it may reverse course with population growth and changing trends, but uh, it's not just the Pac-12, it's not just the Huskies, and it's not stopping. I was going to say, ironically, AJ, uh, Washington kind of did that with Husky Stadium and their remodel, but they did it for different reasons, to stay more collegiate and, and that type of thing, but they did kind of go a little smaller than than maybe they could have gone. I Before we go to Washington specific, I you did open up one area that I, I definitely want to explore because of the kind of cultural exchanges and, and the proximity to the Far East. Do you get a sense that the Pac-12 is really pushing hard to have that market as a big part of their their strategy 
with their model going forward in terms of trying to maximize this revenue for this this next media rights deal? What, I want to make sure I heard what market you're referring to. The East, you mean? Yeah, the Far East in terms of just you know China, Asia, Japan. Yeah, I, there. I think it's important to them, and it doesn't have to come at the cost of what happens domestically. But if you think about any rights. Uh, you can only cut it up so many ways, right? And, and the easiest way to make for a better deal for your partners, you know, let's call it ESPN and Fox and the tier one deal we have in the Pac-12, and you, the entity, you know, that gets a piece of that pie, you know, uh, a part of that, um, is to make the pie larger. And so it's a very, it, I don't think this is, you know, the, the anchor of their strategy by any means, but I think it's a very, very smart move. Um, you know, uh, half the world's, population lives within like four or five time zones over there, right? You know what I mean? Kind of yep. take an Australia and just go straight up through the globe. Um, so would you not want to tap into even a small percent of that audience? There's some business partnerships that great, make great sense. Um, most of the world's great technology players are right here in the U.S., in fact, on the West Coast and founded by and run by Pac-12 alumni. But um, but if they're not, then they are in China, you know, the, you know Tencent, right, and Alibaba and what have you. And they are, you know, building a bridge to those relationships and those partners. And the um, uh, last thing I'll tell you is that almost all the state universities are in a real uh, budget crunch against, you know, state funding. And there's only so many ways a school can bridge that gap. Uh, UW just finished an unbelievably successful gigantic fundraising campaign. But, but it, it, virtually everybody at a state university, and no matter the state, no matter the part of the country, is anticipating a declining percent of total budget subsidy from their state. And how do you bridge that gap? You can raise more money in exchange for doing nothing different. Uh, you can raise tuition quickly and easily. And international students pay, you know, usually 150 to 200 percent of the total cost of their education, while in-state students tend to pay a fraction of the actual cost it takes to educate them. So, you know, I'm just throwing out a few just for fun. And, and But, you know, the reasons to uh, be cozy with the fastest growing a large economy in the world, uh, what will soon be the largest economy in the world, period, outright, um, and the population, and uh, and there's a lot of natural ties, right, to, to Asia and the West Coast and the Pac-12 footprint. Um, it, it all seems pretty darn smart to me, and I think it'll pay some pretty incredible dividends over time. Some of these are generational, you know, decisions and investments. Look forward. The NBA is wildly popular in Asia. I happen to know that the guy, I won't say his name because uh, I know what you think, but uh, but uh, the guy that, that was the first body on the ground out there in Asia uh, for the NBA, this is 30 plus years ago. You know, so we now know the NBA is popular in Asia, but they were there for decades, you know, seeding that um, before they reap the incredible awards they now are with their global television contracts. The NBA is in, Ch in India and has been now for quite a while, and you just don't know about it yet. So um, the real story will be told in future generations, and if the Pac-12 grabs a hold of Asia in a better way than other collegiate conferences, we will be very happy about that. Well, the future does look pretty bright, AJ. I have to, you know, I have to believe that uh, the timing of when the deal comes up in 2024, I mean, it, it just looks like they're in good shape to try to maximize it from a lot of different perspectives. But let's talk about the right now, for instance, and um, I didn't want to bring up his name. I, I mean, we've gone almost 40 minutes, and, and I, I can't help myself. But because it was Pac-12 Media Day, Larry Scott did was asked about the idea of different start times. I mean, obviously there's been – you brought it up. There's been, 
you know, problems in the past with late start times and they've gotten a lot of feedback from fans and not happy about it. And they've tried to spread it out. And, you know, Washington's going to play an eight o'clock game or whatever at Oregon state on a Friday. And, you know, you just can't get around some of these problems, but uh, now they're thinking about a nine o'clock in the morning start time is this just something by Larry Scott as a PR move. Because when I look at it, my first reaction was the Pac-12 doesn't have anything to say about it uh, unless unless the Pac-12 networks want to have the 9 o'clock game, sure. But if, if they're asking ESPN and Fox to host 9 o'clock games to compete with their noon games back east, I would think they've got another thing coming. When, when you saw these kind of comments, what was your first reaction? <laughs> well, uh, uh... If, I, if you don't mind me defending Larry a little bit here, uh, he's a human being and, and has the ability to see the future only as well as we all do. And, and I do wish people would put a little context behind it. You know, we, you know should we be have, getting SEC money? Um, what did the Pac-12 look like pre-Larry? Um, and I think Larry and his collective team have, have done a, a pretty incredible job. And, of course, there's mistakes. Any innovator, anyone who takes risks, anyone who's – looking with a long vision over the horizon is going to have some bumps in the road in the near term. Right. And so, um, I get it. Uh, but, but, uh, I do feel like he's, uh, he's like the new punching bag for, for PAC 12 fans all of a sudden. And some of these articles that come out that are pretty unfair in my opinion and pretty unbalanced. So, uh, um, you know, uh, is, is it a PR move? Are they nine o'clock game? I, I think the fans have been heard. Right. And, and it is painful. Um, some of these late scheduling changes in the late games, some of these things are, are a benefit too, though. It's not just 100% bad, right? Um, we are not going to outdraw the SEC in an in a equivalent level matchup, but we have this geographic advantage. Let's call it an advantage instead of a disadvantage and say we can play a game that is not in the middle of the night, literally, that shows at a time that's not competing with anyone else. Many people built their brands on these funny time slots. Louisville, who jumped two conferences, you know, Boise State, right? I mean, close to national championships and playing undefeated seasons. It, it, a key part of that was being flexible with their scheduling and taking some risks and choosing those open windows. So, you know, I think it was in that balanced effort of optimizing revenue and, and getting recognition for the Pac-12 across the country. And, and we, we cannot just kick off at 1230 and expect the whole nation to watch us versus a 330 SEC matchup or Big Ten matchup. It, it, that is not how it's going to work. Uh, the audience will be uh, diluted, as you can imagine. So anyway, um, I think it's just a sign of creative thinking and good partnership from the network partners too, right? They don't have to. I imagine that that is not a desired time frame for them that much. They're they're trying to show you know concessions and that they're listening and trying to do things. That's what I'm guessing. Um, uh, I, I wouldn't want personally a 9 a.m. game, but I'm not super thrilled about a 7 p.m. game either. Um, partners, broadcast partners will make a sacrifice to be a good partner to a certain extent. And, and, and beyond that, the, the conference needs to bridge that gap and, and you know, extend an olive branch and offer flexibility or alternative things that can help them uh, you know, move their business forward but still appease their fans. Uh, this is a challenge and a conflict that's not going to go away, by the way. Um, television revenue, and I know that uh, – I'll finish the statement first. Television revenue is surpassing ticket revenue in pretty much every sport in North America that if it hasn't happened already, uh, it, it will soon. Um, and, um, you know, it's not going to blow by it and never look back. These are, you know, two lines that are just crossing one another, but 
Um, it, those are the top two revenue sources, whichever one's in first place, um, tickets and uh, television. Now, there's a bunch of other revenue sources in collegiate athletics that are tied to those attendees, you know, premium seating experiences, tailgating, you know, vending, all these kind of things that you can start to add up the attendance equation and say that's worth a lot more, especially to donors, um, than, than, you know, what time the game's on TV. But it isn't an either or. You can't just pull yourself off television to optimize ticket revenue. So. These are two forces that are going to be in competition with each other. And, and as we have discussed on this call, and, and hopefully it's more than just my opinion, this is our job to watch these things, declining attendance isn't showing any sign of stopping. And competition for television rights and the increasing revenue isn't showing any sign of stopping. So uh, the priority equation will probably look worse for accommodating television versus attendees in the future versus the past. But there's a whole bunch of other changes accountable for this too, right? So I wish I could say something was different, but that is the that is a socioeconomic reality of human behavior and the changes in trends and social media and smartphones and everything that's taking place. So um, so yeah, here we go. At least they're trying. They're inside an existing contract. There's pretty limited things they could do uh, right between now and the next deal. And uh, I wouldn't expect in the future for um, every game to be on at 12:30 like the good old days, so that we can tailgate watch the game, get home while it's still daylight. Um, it's just not going to happen. I was going to say, for the record, 9 a.m. games are just fine with me. If that means that I can leave Husky <laughs> Stadium at 4 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, I'm golden with it. Certainly beats <laughs> certainly beats leaving there at 2 a.m. in the morning. But we do, we do what we have to do. Um, I do agree that it's good that they're talking. You know, I mean, it, it's better to have the dialogue and worst case, the networks can say no, right? Yeah, yeah. And I trust me, every, the, the athletes, the player personnel, all journalists agree with you yeah. as far as those are plenty of fans. I, I'm sure there's some fans that would love 9 a.m. And I'm sure there's some fans that love 7 p.m. Um, believe it or not, you know, it used to be exciting and fun and rare, right? To have a night game and get to tailgate all day. Yeah. Um, it is not such a simple equation, and you just heard the two forces that are in opposition here and the direction they're going. So, yeah, they're trying, but um, it's tough. And, and Chris Peterson has been on record as saying that, that the reason he enjoys morning practices is because they've done studies to show that the kids are optimally ready to go and, are, and can be at peak performance early in the morning, like 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock in the morning. They're they're ready to go. They've had a breakfast. They're, they're raring. So uh, I think there's a lot of pluses to it, frankly. And if they could pull off maybe one game a year at 9 o'clock, shoot, I don't have a problem with it at all. But what I wanted to ask you, the final question, and there might be a spinoff or two, I, I have to admit, I can't, I can't lie about that. But what I'm interested in is, is a lot of fans, especially the ones that follow recruiting, AJ, have been kind of frustrated with some of the national brands coming out west and getting kids, the Clemsons, the Alabamas, the Ohio States, the Michigans, you know, Washington's starting to get into Texas, and they've just they have a couple commitments for the 2020 class from there. You know, in your dealings in in this in this area of your expertise, and as a fan as well, I know you keep your ear to the ground and kind of wonder how Washington's doing as a national brand. When you put it together with this new Adidas deal, which is a real flagship deal for them on the West Coast, but when you put all this stuff together for the Huskies, AJ, do you? Do you get the sense that they're on the cusp of maybe starting to get back to becoming a national brand again? Yeah, uh, I think so. I mean, um, 
uh, it's pretty hard for me to be unbiased here. Um, but, but, and no one uh, wants you to be, <laughs> I guess not with this audience. Let's just find out who listens to this and feels differently. But, um, but, but, uh, but, um, this is a generational football coach and, and it sure looks like it's a generational basketball coach. I mean, coach of the year, the first two years he's there, he doesn't even have his roster yet. Well, now he does with the way recruiting is going. Um, if we are not on the national map, um, we're on the way there and we'll clearly be on it in the very near future. Um, so this is a, this is beyond once in a generation to have a great basketball program, football program at the same time is incredibly rare. Uh, it is possible someday people look back and say it was never this good, uh, again, uh, not to be negative, but, um, this is Washington's moment to, um, solidify its relationship with a generation of fans and, uh, a national footprint and however that might affect recruiting. Um, I mean, Texas is a smart deal. You, you don't have to work at navigate and see all the data and numbers to know that the, you know, even on a per capita basis, it's not just because these States are larger in population. On a per capita basis, uh, you know, Florida, uh, Texas, and California, that's where the talent's coming out of matriculating D1 and NFL. And there's some strange anomalies, you know, you know, Ohio's there, Louisiana's there. There's some that don't always necessarily make sense, but it's there. So um, it's not a bad idea, uh, right, to put yourself in a second one of those markets because the Pac-12, you know, historically feeds off of California. And that's where uh, the majority of the talent comes from. But uh, all these things have to happen, you know, in, 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 in unison, right? The, if I could share with you uh, work that we've done in recruiting or insights into what's in the mind of this 17-year-old football uh, athlete as is being recruited, I, I think it might surprise you, um, you know, w- what matters to them. And uh, this next generation, Gen Z, that's who we're recruiting right now, uh, I think it would really surprise you. Uh, they don't see those geographic borders. These are kids that may have never left their home state or been on a plane but don't hesitate, you know, to commit to a program that's 2,500 miles away because the sex appeal and the sizzle. Favorite basketball player, other side of the country, you may never actually see him play a game. You may never step in his home arena. Not a problem for these kids. Um, this is uh, the, the, the geographic boundaries are coming down with social, digital, mobile, and that sort of connectiveness to whatever the best content athlete or team is that you want to be associated with. So uh, what an opportunity um, because of where we're at right now uh, as an athletic department and where, uh, what I expect the near future to hold, um, but, um, but there's other threats to it. You know, uh, things like this tend to amplify the haves and have-nots, right? So if you are hot and you're Clemson, you could come pluck kids out that don't have any idea of the difficulty or environment or you know, place that they're heading in the world. Um, and uh, so strong gets stronger is what I would estimate from this and Washington is in a really, really good position. Um, so yeah, should be, should be fun to watch. I don't, I'm not an X's and O's football expert, but I can't help with my fandom say this. It is pretty clear that they know how to pick the right kids and develop those kids. And, and the evidence is uh, blatantly obvious. So as the program grows in prominence and reaches more kids, it's not hard to figure out how the, you know, it's the Jimmy's and Joe's and the X's and O's, right? And, and boy, it sure seems like we have both right now at Washington. So yeah, pretty, pretty exciting time. I also think they're disciplined and smart, and I don't think they're the type that'll be jumping on planes to go to Miami, uh, right? There is energy of the coaches and time of the coaches, and if you've noticed anything, if you paid a, a close attention to their recruiting tactics, they're, they're um, more laser-focused than they are uh, shotgun approach. So I wouldn't expect this thing to keep going east, um, right? But they don't have to, in my opinion. I was going to say the only the only thing I know about the, the the prospects nowadays is that apparently they all love black uniforms. 
So that, that's about that's about all I know about that. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. What I want to know personally is that because you've been on the the you know the consultancy side of almost every aspect of these sports deals, whether it's the the, the conference, a school, the media, a business, what have you, you're in a unique position to offer a lot of insight and a lot of advice in terms of what you would like to see schools do to maximize revenue based on their momentum and right now washington's got a ton of momentum in football and basketball so what i want to know is if you had five minutes with jen cohen what would you tell her in terms of things that maybe they could do as an athletic department to maximize the opportunities they have right now because obviously football and basketball are rolling right yeah no doubt um well as we've discussed this is a uh this is a generational opportunity, if not a, a multi-generational opportunity. Um, and uh, fortunately, I, I do get to have uh, chats with Jen, so <laughs> it would, uh, which would probably bore you all. So um, l- let me answer it in a fun uh, in a fun way that uh, might not be so feasible, um, but 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 I think it's it's worth actually discussing. And um, and before I do. Uh, I have to note how lucky we are to have Jen. Uh, certainly, we're lucky to have Peterson and Hop, but but um, it starts at the top, and uh, and and she's special. And there is no question; it is not a coincidence. Uh, Washington doesn't get to just win and be great uh, because it's Washington. And I think we've all experienced that, you know, even in just the last uh, decade. So uh, I probably shouldn't be giving her advice. She should probably be giving me advice. Um, but but. Uh, you're right. This is an unbelievable moment and opportunity, and so uh, it would be um, it would be wise to to leverage this into long term revenue potential, uh, brand, etc. Um, so just you know for fun, um, uh, I, the NHL is coming to Seattle. We're very lucky to be a, a part of that and get to work with the uh, NHL and even the new team and, and what have you in the arena. Um, so there's there's maybe some bias in here on this, but there's only three sports that pretty consistently are, are positive, you know, uh, profit contributors to an athletic budget and hockey is one of those. So I, I would, uh, it's easy to say, by the way, who's going to build the arena, right? Uh, where are you going to come up with the money to launch a D one program? But I would attempt to, um, to launch a D one uh, hockey program in conjunction with the NHL coming to Seattle. They have a lot of motion, uh, motivation to do so themselves. Uh, you know, they're, they're certainly going to invest in youth hockey and a practice facility and all these kinds of things. Um, the owner just happens to be a Husky. Um, this is NHL Seattle I'm referring to. So not super feasible. There's a lot of things like title nine and where's the money come from and all this kind of stuff. But, but, uh, that's one, uh, uh, Jen does know this one. Uh, we, we've discussed this at length, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of shifting as much as you can to social digital mobile. That's the trend. That's the reality of the world we're living in. It's a mobile first world. And, um, a lot of universities lag this trend as far as their communications with, fans, donors, ticket holders, fundraising, you know, everything you can imagine. Um, that's kind of simple, though. I think most people understand that. It's just hard to, you know, pivot quickly. 
um, the, the success, and I think what you're probably really getting at with this question is, you know, what do you do to capitalize on the success? And there's no doubt that you should attempt to expand your geographic footprint, very similar to our discussion about Asia and the Pac-12 network and, and you, know, the, the, you know, the reach that someone could achieve through owning their network or social digital mobile means. It's an opportunity to really expand your, your footprint, which ultimately, you know, makes the pie larger and makes your slice of the pie larger, as we've, as we've discussed uh, previously in this conversation. But there's things you could do. You could play games in, in, in the region. My personal opinion um, is that um, you don't need to be like a Clemson and try to stretch from coast to coast with recruiting. doesn't really seem to be what fits with our coaches and what have you anyway, as far as their laser focus and, and fit and what have you. Um, but you could put a fence around sort of your natural region. I, I, I've heard it said when I was a, an undergrad student, you know, Washington was the best school north of San Francisco, west of Chicago. And I know we're being generous with the borders there, but but you get the point. I think that there is an opportunity to put a fence around your backyard that's defendable when you're even when you're not great. Uh, Montana and Idaho, British Columbia, Alaska, Oregon, et cetera. That's a heck of an opportunity. Um, <laughs> speaking of Oregon, um, they had to reach nationally because they didn't have the natural advantages that Washington has. So uh, you know you play to your advantages. This is all about arbitrage opportunity, right? And comparative advantage, uh, dealing with the resources you have. Washington in an advantage position, I think you really just grow your backyard and, and your footprint. Um, so, uh, again, we won't get into tactics. I've probably gone on too long as it is, um, but what an opportunity. Uh, and so uh, trading off uh, the reality of you can't be all things to all people, I'd solidify the, the northwest corner of the country. And, um, and then real estate's the, the last one. And, and this is easy to say and incredibly difficult to do in the collegiate environment, but uh, it's one of the three ways that pro sports teams, you know, create incredible revenue and value uh, for their franchise, the development of real estate in conjunction with facilities or, or adjacent to them, taking advantage of the critical mass of people that come to your venues. Um, so there's no doubt uh, uh, someone in the athletic department would roll their eyes listening to this, thinking about the challenge of working with upper campus and the limited real estate down there around the athletics village. But that is prime real estate. And uh uh, you know, if you think of what is the highest and best use of that land uh, and uh, the popularity of athletics, uh, there's an opportunity for all kinds of development. And I know it's difficult with the Montlake neighborhood and what have you, but trying to divorce ourselves just for a second from all those challenges and, and feasibility and what have you, I, I think it's impossible to deny the, the value, the scarcity of that land and what's happening in Seattle. And there's ways you could invest in real estate, mixed use real estate, residential. You could have dorms. There could be future athletic facilities. But there's there's things that could create more of a 24-7, 365 environment that are uh, revenue and profit driving and um, could uh, create a, a, an essentially an annuity um, that supports athletics. Uh, Arizona State uh, down here in Phoenix is doing something very similar with what was their golf course and some parking lots. And um, I think uh, 20 years in the future, we'll, we'll look back and say that was genius <clears throat> and very rare. Uh, to the collegiate landscape, but uh, boy, does Seattle have some opportunities there. And I know I'm talking about attacking parking and tailgating, which would be, which is sacrilege. <clears throat> but um, but looking long into the future, you have to ask yourself exactly what role parking plays, and, and you know how many people are going to be driving to games, et cetera, et cetera. So cheesy, um, but um, but uh, I, I couldn't resist rambling on there because he gave me well carte blanche opportunity. But yeah. Um, I, I try to launch a D1 hockey program, and uh, I pour as much as I could into my social, digital, and mobile efforts to expand my footprint and my brand, my geographic footprint, and um, I do my best working with the university to try to get something done with that, that real estate uh, to, to put it to work for its highest and best use. 
Yep. I think we can certainly end on that. Uh, wonderful to talk to you. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but I think we probably even talked about doing something like this or, or getting you on our site at some point, even as far back as when we were having brunch in new Orleans back in 2011, uh, after getting, after Washington got thumped by LSU. So, um, this is, uh, this is phenomenal. You, you really went above and beyond in answering my questions. And, and obviously I think Washington fans and, and hopefully even some Pac-12 fans in general will get a, a lot of insight and a lot of information because there's a lot, of chew, lot to chew on after what you just talked about. So uh, thank you so much for being a part of this. Well, I'm flattered, and, uh, and uh, it's fun. I could basically talk Huskies all day. So go dogs! Thank you very much. Appreciate it. And I'll uh, talk to you and see you soon, Chris. Absolutely, AJ. And for those Washington fans listening to this that also want to take advantage of what we're doing at dogman.com, we do have an email uh, mailing list that you can sign up on. You can uh, email us at huskystadium at gmail.com, huskystadium, one word, at gmail.com. Just put uh, newsletter on the subject line, and we will send you any breaking news emails, uh, emails on what we're doing, what's on the front page, everything that you need to know about what's going on at dogman.com. So uh, again, for AJ Maestas, founder and CEO of Navigate, this is Chris Fetters of dogman.com. Go dogs.